Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. Nightwise.com Tired of choosing between Macs, Linux, and OSX? Listen to the Nightwise.com podcast and learn how to slide from operating system to operating system using our hack tips and tweaks for cross-platform geeks. Tune tech into your way of life and let technology work for you instead of the other way around. www.knighttwise.com And welcome to episode number 108 of Linux in the Ham Shack. My name is Russ, I'm K5TUX, coming to you from between the peaks in the pine forest of north central Arkansas. And with me, as he has been for the past few weeks, from up in the wild hinterlands where it's uh, a balmy 68 degrees Fahrenheit, is Pete, VE2XPL. So good evening, Pete. How are you doing this week? Hello, Russ. Uh, hi, everyone. I'm doing great. Thank you very much. Thanks for the uh, intro. Uh, indeed, V2XPL here, a little bit south of Montreal. It's been rather nice, actually. A lot of people were very happy with the 30-plus uh, uh, Celsius we were getting last week, but I'm actually much more comfortable in the uh, mid to upper 60s, so I'm a happy camper, happy camper. Hope you've been well also. Well, I think you are aware that I have not been terribly well, unfortunately. I've got some sort of summertime well it's not even summertime some kind of cold and uh, luckily this one didn't hit me particularly hard so it wasn't like the flu or anything it just came made me cough for a little bit and uh, I seem to be on the mend right now I'm drinking a little whiskey which is actually helping out quite a bit I think my voice might actually make it for the whole show so that is good news I guess and if not you're a rambler so you can you know fill in the blanks Absolutely. It's like um, you're having a hot toddy without the hot part, so good on you. Yeah, that's great, because I don't like hot drinks at all. None. Well, There you go. Just a toddy. A plain toddy. Yeah, that's right. I'm having a toddy minus everything. I'm <laughs> straight, straight up glass of whiskey. Might it's, not help, but after three or four, you won't care anymore if you got a cold. It's like calling a, a, a orange juice a virgin screwdriver. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Why don't you go ahead and talk about the contest this time, since I rambled over long about it last week, and you decided to copy it in to remind people this week, so uh, have at it. 
Yeah, well, I thought it would be a good idea since uh, it is a contest and this is the last episode before the big draw. So uh, Linux in the ham shack, that's us. We'll be giving away a beagle bone, a, be- a beagle bone black. Well, this is off to a good start. Uh, giving away a beagle bone black, which we've talked about uh, quite a few uh, times in the last episodes. A great little device. Uh, current subscribers, of course, will automatically uh, be entered to win. Uh, you already are. And if you want to be entered to win, you can do it in one of two ways. First way is to become a subscriber, so you can do that uh, monthly or yearly. Subscribe to the show. Uh, monthly levels are $2 a month, and yearly is a bargain at $20 per year. Second way is to leave a voicemail on the LHS voice line. I did that once, I remember, and I actually got my voice on the radio. So uh, it works, people. Uh, living proof. So uh, LHS voice line, which uh, completes the thought I deserve a beagle bone black because, a little bit of alliteration there, I deserve a beagle bone black because. So your answers uh, can be as serious or ludicrous as you like. Uh, Please include your call sign if you have one, uh, email address or phone number, and uh, in your voice, oh sorry, leave your email address or voice or phone number when you leave a voicemail so we can let you know if you've won and uh, find out where to ship your snazzy new beagle bone. Uh, Indeed, I'm actually uh, quite envious already of the unknown uh, recipient. All entries must be received by 10 p.m. Central Time on June 16th. That would be June 17th, 0300 UTC. And the drawing uh, will be done live during the recording of next episode, episode 109 on June 18th. So good luck to everyone. and please, uh, please participate. Yes, please participate. Of course, everybody who's a subscriber is already participating, but you can become a subscriber or you can go ahead and give us a voicemail and talk about why you, we should give you a Beagle Bone Black. And of course, we're just using that as a, as a way to have a free entry into the contest. Your, your very witty or, or quite crappy entry, as it were, will be neither a benefit nor a hindrance to your winning. Everybody has an equal opportunity to win the Beagle Bone. All you have to do is enter. So uh, good luck to everyone, and we'll be giving that away in a couple of weeks. So you better get your entry in. Yeah, look forward to it. I think it'll be very exciting. Um, are we keeping it a surprise as to how it's going to be done? It's certainly a surprise to me right now. Well, we discussed this in the last episode, which you may not recall because I am lazy and didn't put out the last episode until three hours before we started recording this one. Oh, yes, we did. That's correct. Okay. Yeah, it'll come back to me now. <laughs> <laughs> it'll be done by random number generator. We're just going to do it yes, the yes, lazy yes. way. That's okay. That's fair. We're all about fair. Yes, fair we must be. Equal opportunity podcasters. That's fair you must be, Luke. And that's the world's worst Yoda impersonation. I've uh, heard worse. Huh? You've heard worse? I've, I've heard worse, so you, you, it's all right. I, I knew, I knew who, you were, who you were imitating, so you're not <laughs> doing that bad. Well, if I was closer to Yoda than I was to, say, Morgan Freeman, then I'll consider that a win. <laughs> you were, trust uh, me. Uh, okay, excellent. In a serendipitous bit of news, I guess, from the world of ham radio, there has been some stormy weather activity going on in Miami, Florida, uh, with the station Whiskey X-Ray 4, November Hotel Charlie. And uh, we've had a raft of tornadoes come through this area and wipe out a few towns uh, a little bit west of here in Oklahoma. 
it's been pretty bad all around out here in the Midwest, and this station is uh, all about emergency preparedness and all that stuff, uh, particularly when it comes to hurricanes, because that's more the bane of Florida than tornadoes ever were. So uh, tell us a little bit more about this test they had going on. Yeah, WX for NHC uh, did the uh, their annual on the air station test from Miami, Florida. Uh, WX for NHC, in case you haven't guessed, is the National Hurricane Center, which is quite clever actually. Uh, WX weather for the National Hurricane Center. I think that's a cool call sign. But uh, this past uh, Saturday, June first, from uh, one till nine, so one. Uh, or 13, sorry, from 13 UTC till 21 UTC on June 1st. Uh, they did their annual test, and the purpose of the annual station test was to test all of the radio equipment, computers, antennas, uh, using any and all modes, frequencies, and as many frequencies as possible uh, in preparedness for this year's hurricane seasons. This has been going on for a number of years. Uh, and uh, I'm actually, I was looking for the results of the test, but I wasn't able to find anything. Uh, usually it's quite, uh, I saw quite a few forums before announcing it. It seems to be quite a popular event. It's not a contest, uh, but it's a good opportunity to see how uh, much of a reach you have. Uh, and this is all in, uh, uh, in view of predictions uh, of this uh, year's hurricane season, which are predicted to be quite severe. Uh, actually, NOAA predicts uh, a, a more than active hurricane season in 2013. Uh, they predicted, let me see where the numbers are, 12 to 16 named storms, uh, 6 to 10 of them becoming hurricanes, 3 to 6 becoming Cat 3 Plus. Of course, we have competition. There's the Weather Channel says, uh, let's see, 16 storms, 9 hurricanes, 5 Cat 3s. And Colorado State University predicted, it's like uh, football, football scores, Colorado State University predicted 18, 18 storms uh, with nine hurricanes and four becoming Cat 3. So all that being said, uh, they're all pretty high averages anyways. So we'll see uh, what is in store. Uh, some of you who have come close, like yourself, Russ, I don't know how close you actually were, uh, probably already know how to be prepared. Uh, and if you don't, uh, we will put up, hopefully in the show notes, we'll put a whole bunch of um, uh, links that I have here in front of me uh, from ready.gov uh, to the Red Cross's uh, preparedness site uh, to uh, various other agencies, uh, uh, disability.gov, uh, the ASPCA for pet care in case of disasters. Uh, in Canada, there's getprepared.gc.ca, which gives you English and French, of course, because it's our two official languages. So there's lots of opportunity to get information. Uh, and I, I think, and, and Russ, I don't know how close you are. You might agree with me or not, but you kind of tend to get complacent. It's kind of like snowstorms and ice storms for us. We live in them, so we kind of get complacent about them. And sometimes we're not as prepared as we need to be, but it is quite important to be prepared. And that's a little bit of the purpose of, of this test. Yeah, I'm extremely complacent when it comes to disaster preparedness. If a disaster happened right now, I would be unprepared. There's no question about it. I mean, I know all of the things that I need to do to be prepared, but I'm one lazy MF, so <laughs> I have a feeling that when the worst hits, I'm going to get the worst of it. Well, I see, the thing about preparedness, it's good to be prepared, it's good to be aware, but there's only a certain amount of things that you can do to be prepared, and at some point, 
you know, because you can't go overboard and you need to be prepared for your most likely local emergencies. So if you live in the Midwest, well, you prepare for tornadoes. If you live in Florida, hurricanes. If you live up here, it's snow and ice. But you never know. I mean, just because it doesn't mean that we're not going to get a hurricane, a freak storm, you know, some sort of natural disaster that we're not expecting that we may not be prepared for. So you you can be somewhat prepared, but you can never be prepared for everything. So you shouldn't, you know, freak out about it either. But awareness is always a good thing. Awareness is a good thing, but I will have to take issue with your assessment that you cannot go overboard. Have you tried to buy ammunition lately? <laughs> I don't okay, know. You can go overboard. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I don't know how widespread that problem is in Canada, but around here, it's ridiculous. So you're saying that there's a lack of ammunition? Everybody's uh, loading up, as it were? Yes, absolutely. Uh, we haven't been able to buy 22 ammunition for several months. Why would you want 22 ammunition? It's like, you may as well get a pea shooter. Well, you, you might be wondering that, but 22s can be effective, if not in the shooting, then simply waving. You know, a 22 looks like a 9mm if you're not looking real close. So well, yeah, but then you can use a water pistol. Again, the assessment sort of falls apart when you can't buy the twenty two ammunition. You may you may wonder why people would want it in the first place, but apparently people do because you can't get it. Yeah, I guess. Well twenty twos are small and easy to, you know, hide and they're not very loud, so maybe if you shoot someone you can get away with it easier. <laughs> I don't know. I've never had um actually one of my uncles built a he had this old uh twenty two rifle that he chopped down completely illegally, of course. My uncle's since passed away, and I'm not sure what happened with the firearm, but he he chopped it down and he built this pirate gun out of it, you know, like a, a kind of rounded-handled, you know, 17th-century pirate pistol. And because he chopped down the barrel, the thing sounded like 44 Magnum. It was like, oh, my God, that thing was loud. It was just a 22. So. He didn't like retro, uh, retrofit it as a flintlock or anything, right? <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. It, it just had the look, you know, and it was, um, it was a bolt action. So it, it was a small bolt action, which was kind of cool. So he, a bolt like action pistol. That's an interesting idea. Yeah, totally. Well, you know, he was, he was a gun freak. He was a collector because of him. I've shot pretty much everything under the sun. We've, he used to take me out hunting. Luckily I wasn't a very good hunter. I never killed a whole lot of things, but anyhow. Yeah, I know a little bit. It, it's not as easy to get handguns here in Canada, as you probably know. It's, you can get rifles and shotguns relatively easily uh, if you follow a safety course and you go register as a hunter. Um, handguns are a lot more restricted. You need a, a, a reason to own it and a whole bunch of different permissions. Apparently, it's very complicated to get. I've never been through the process, but apparently it's quite difficult. They're trying to make it difficult here, but it's not really working so far. I can't even get the measures to to do background checks and, and things like that through the government, So, uh, and such as it is. But somehow we got onto that from uh, disaster preparedness, and why don't we just leave it at be prepared. And if you want to check out all those links that Pete mentioned, they will be in our show notes at some point, because I think Harrison is slacking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. We're going to have to get on this case. I was wondering. I was just going to ask you, have you heard anything about that? But uh, uh, I'll, uh, if, I, if I bump into him, I'll, uh, I'll give him a shot upside the head for you. That's good. You do that. And do it with Wait, a 22. So I, He'll probably survive it. Yeah, he just lives down the road. I, down the road. Well, relatively speaking, compared to you, he lives down the road. He's probably about a half an hour away from me, just close to the border. So uh, we've been trying to figure out, because he comes into my end of, of, of the world every once in a while. So we've been trying to cross paths, and it hasn't happened yet. So apparently we crossed paths at a ham fest in 
uh, Burlington a few months ago, but neither of us had met, so neither of us knew what the other guy looked like, so we missed each other. It's kind of funny. We've yeah. since spoken on Skype, so now we know what each other looks like. <laughs> yeah, I know what Harrison looks like, although I know what a lot of people look like, and I'm not sure that I would notice them if I passed them on the street, You know, even though I do know what they look like. Yeah, no, absolutely. But eh, like I said, one of these days I'll see him and slap him. All right, so you've got another piece of news here indicating that the second most useless distribution of Linux in the universe has released an update. Well, I figured, you know, it's Linux in the ham shack. So I started out with a ham story. I'm following with a Linux story. Yay. I, 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 being unsure of your feelings for Arch Linux, I just thought maybe some people would like to know that Arch Linux uh, 2013.06.1 is now available for download as of 2013.06.01. Uh, it's got the uh, latest uh, stable, I like how they put, powered by the latest stable Linux kernel version 3.9.4. This monthly updated ISO image also contains all the updated packages from the last release. So as usual, you can get it as an ISO image uh, and it's intended for new installations. Uh, existing Arch Linux users don't need to do that. Uh, you uh, have an up-to-date installation. You could just run, uh, let's see, sudo pacman slash, no, sorry, sudo pacman dash syu, or is that cu from time to time. That's it. It's available also on 32 and 64-bit platforms. So uh, you're not a fan, are you? I've never actually played with Arch Linux, so uh, is there a reason... You know, it just didn't strike you as something, did it just not click, or do you loathe it? I don't exactly loathe it. The problem that I see with Arch Linux is the same problem that I see with Gentoo, in that it allows you an extraordinary amount of flexibility and customization for your Linux distribution, but in doing so, it makes it very difficult to install from, you know, uh, a general install perspective. There are some distributions like Manjaro, which attempt to make Arch Linux installs easier the same way that Sabaon attempts to make Gentoo installs easier. And a lot of people go to the Sabaon and the Manjaro route because it takes all of the difficulty out of doing the install because they're usually CLI installers. You boot up a prompt and then you have to load a wiki page in order to do the install. It's not anything like a point and click type thing. And to me, that is just a waste of time. It's, it's a good idea to do as an exercise so you understand what you're doing when you're doing an install. But as a day-to-day, -day, I'm going to be putting a distribution on a machine. It is a totally useless and pointless exercise. And you can get the same results from a Debian distribution. You can be just as customized, just as stripped down and lean as an Arch install. The only difference is an Arch install will be far more bleeding edge. To give you a little bit of an idea of Debian's conservativeness, Arch's latest distribution is coming out with 3.9.4 of the kernel, whereas Debian Wheezy is currently on 3.2. So, yeah. It's, but is, if it's stable, has there been that much of a difference between, you know, the, the two versions? Well, usually updates in the kernel involve one of two things. The first is security slash bug fixes. And the other is adding driver support for new hardware. That's pretty much the sum total of what happens when the kernel gets updated. So 3.2 probably lacks some new hardware support. 
but you can install 3.9 on a Debian machine if you want to. You just have to be motivated enough to do it. And once you've gone through this hellish procedure, is it a pretty friendly and, and uh, you know, is it an, a, a user-friendly environment? Well, you can make it like any environment you want. You can have okay. GNOME 3, you can make a KDE, LXDE, a CLI environment. You can use Awesome, you can use Rat Poison, you can use whatever you like. So in the sense that it's a user-friendly distribution once you've done the once you've done the install, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's as user-friendly as any distro after you've gone through the hell of getting it to there. All right. Well, like I said, I like I always say, I'm always looking at different... Uh different distributions so we'll see if i want to venture into that because it would certainly either help me learn or send me away screaming from linux right well it's not the hardest distribution to install by any means so it would probably be worth taking a look at just like i say for the exercise you'll learn something no doubt but whether you decide to take on arch as a full-time distribution that you run on all all your machines i'd be willing to bet that you will not go that route yeah, I still haven't found that distribution. I keep coming back to Mint just because it's easy. You know, it installs quick. It does what I want. And then I try another one. It's like, oh, I'll just throw Mint back on. Because until I find that one that, you know, kind of I go, oh, I, yeah. yes. I, I, <laughs> you know, I'll just keep, keep playing with Mint. So I, I actually just installed the Mint 15 uh, 32-bit uh, Mate version. So, um, you know, it's pretty much like all the other mints really it's a you, you see the mint 15 is out yay it's like but it looks the same so uh, <laughs> you know it's it's got more support but i mean aside from that it's not that great anyhow the arch uh, linux thing was uh from linux today i got that and that was uh, released today well the distribution was released on the first that the news item i read today on linux today all right excellent so i believe that's all we have for the first segment we're gonna listen to a little bit of music and this first selection is yours so i'll let you go ahead and introduce it and then we're going to talk a little bit about mumble and uh, after the experience we had just before the show i have a little bit more to say about it we are going to listen to a track called the shot down by josh woodward and it's a uh, courtesy of Jamendo. we hope you enjoy to justify leaving why not just run away why even wait and hesitate breathing why would you wanna stay nothing you say can change the way he feels nothing could save you now so just let this go
to Pete because I thought that was his selection and it turns out it was actually mine from a couple of weeks ago and I completely forgot about it so that's okay that was a nice tune yeah good I'm glad you thought so because I, I managed to steal both of your slots because I thought that one was yours so I said oh well I'm not taking your sele- your selection for the second time around I'm gonna take mine you know <laughs> I was wondering but that's okay I'm, I'm not offended uh, you know music is very subjective and personal so yes you are you you know you're offended <laughs> no no not i actually have a been listening to a, a lot of music lately and and i have a few selections for the next uh, few podcasts so i've been doing my homework i have a few less things to do over the summer well i i did listen to a couple of the ones that you sent me and i st- and those sort of led me to the one that i wound up picking for the second part of the show and i had i have to say i was a little curious about the the song little sister because I think it's a great song, but I figured you would listen to the first couple seconds of it and not even bother with the rest of it. So I'm curious how you managed to get past there. Um, 
I have an open mind. I don't know. <laughs> I usually listen to these things in the background while I'm working. Um, quite often when I'm doing studio work, um, I, I have no one around me, so I just listen to music. I throw it on either Jamendo or Groove Shark or whatever I feel like listening to. And uh, so that's how I... Yeah, it, it's an, that, that one's an interesting one, and I can either take it or leave it. Sometimes I've listened to it a couple of times because when, when I'm not sure about about a song, I listen to it... Even if I'm not sure if I like it or not, I'll listen to it again and again just to kind of, you know, you can't listen to a song once and decide, yeah, it's, you can probably say, yeah, it's great if it strikes a chord. but if Or you could say, I completely don't like this if it's not your thing. But if you're in the middle, what I do is I listen to it, you know, five or six times after that. And sometimes I'd listen to it and I'd go, yeah, this is pretty cool. And other times I'm like, yeah, so, so, so. But it's an interesting song, but it's kind of like, you know, like you say, half of it's cooler than the other half. I actually thought it, it will probably wind up on the show, I, I think, because uh, none of the other stuff that they did seemed to be as interesting. But if anyone's interested in, in what we're talking about before it shows up or never does on the show, uh, it's a song called Little Sister, and the band is called something weird, The Very Unknown Friends of Jane Doe or something like that. I'm drawing a blank. It's horrible because I'm the one who sent it to you. Yeah, I know. Let me, let me look it up real quick because I think that's close. It's the very unknown friends. Yeah, that's it. I was I was exactly right. The very unknown friends of Jane Doe. There you uh, go, yeah. Yep. You can find them on Jamendo. Song is called Little Sister. It's actually it's actually a pretty good song. Um, I just thought the the very first few seconds of it were so strange that I was. Wondering if I even should listen to the rest of it, but it's worth the trouble. Anyway, we're here to talk about Mumble, and um, there's a news item that that Pete picked up on here, and we as a podcast have been experimenting with using Mumble, trying to get away from the Microsoft product Skype, and unfortunately, this episode is still being recorded with Skype because we had some issues earlier, and I will discuss those in a little bit, but first, let's just talk about uh, the news item, and then we'll We'll get on to the bitch fest. <laughs> Indeed. That being said, uh, we're getting closer. We're getting closer. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm quite positive that we will achieve success in the next uh, few days. Anyways, uh, Mumble 1.2.4 was released. Ironically, the successor of 1.2.3, which I installed three days before the release, uh, uh, comes out uh, the day after, which is kind of funny. Yeah, 1.2.4 was also released on June 1st, which is uh, kind of funny. It was the day of releases because Arch Linux was also released on the same day, which is kind of interesting. I don't know if it has anything to do one with the other. Probably not. Maybe the first of the month is just a good time to release stuff. Uh, they boast a uh, next-generation audio codec. Now, I wasn't familiar with this one. The Opus codec is designed to handle a wide range of interactive audio applications. Uh, they say, including voice over IP, video conferencing, uh, in-game chat, of course, uh, because, you know, Mumble is kind of a, a gamer's thing, uh, from what I understand. Uh, even live remote uh, music performances, which is interesting. It can scale uh, low bit low bit rate, narrow band speech to very high quality stereo music. And I have my doubts, but I'd be interested to see how you could take uh, low bit rate stuff and make high quality uh, music, but I'm sure they have a very sophisticated algorithm. And I, like I said, I keep an open mind and I'd be willing to see, to, to try and, and see if it's uh, that wonderful. It's got uh, Windows 8 and OS X support, uh, various other, you know, push to 
talk improvements and uh, much, much more. The story was in uh, Linux Today also. Uh, I read that uh, today in Linux Today, and I thought, considering all of the uh, trial and errors that we've had with Mumble the last uh, couple of weeks, I thought it would be interesting to uh, at least mention it. Uh, but if we wish, wish to talk and bitch about it, then I'm more than happy to do it as well. Well, I would like to say that I am thankful that Mumble is around. And before we get further into the Mumble thing, I need to address the Opus Codec a little bit. The The Opus Codec is kind of a neat thing because it picks up where it speaks, the Speaks Codec, left off. The Speaks Codec is a very, very low bitrate codec, but it's designed pretty much entirely for speech. If you try and encode anything other than speech in it, you'll get garbled, you know, crap. The, the idea behind Opus is that it does its algorithm in such a way that it can adjust its variable bit rateness, uh, between something that doesn't require a lot of bandwidth, like voice, and then can also encode something like music, which requires much more bandwidth. And of course, it's a lossy codec, just like MP3 and AUG and all of those. So you're not going to get high quality recordings out of it. But at least if you try and record some music using the Opus codec, it will actually reproduce music where Speaks and Codec 2 and other super low bitrate codecs will not. And but those, those weren't meant to do music, were they? No, they speech were specifically designed to do speech. But one thing I have seen is that on the Hacker Public Radio list, they have been discussing putting out all the episodes in Opus format. And from what I can see, that in a general, you know, mixed voice music interlude type format, the Opus codec will save about 80% on the size of the file. They usually That's run That's interesting. Yeah, they usually run about one fifth the size of an MP3 or similarly encoded AUG. So you're saying this is going to be its own format, like MP3 or AUG? Yes. And uh, what's the. Dot um... Opus. That, oh, really? Interesting. Yep. yep. The first one to actually, the, that I'm aware of, that has actually figured out that we are no longer saddled with the 8x3 Microsoft-ism from way back in the day, not every suffix has to be three characters. I really wish people would sort of figure that out so we don't have to have all of these stupid things like SPX and... Uh, you know, you name all the stupid three-letter acronyms that people have come up with to sort of identify their file format when they could just as easily do dot speaks or you know dot vorbis or whatever. That's uh, longer though, and at some point it could be you know dot opus codec is designed to handle a wide range of interactive audio applications <laughs> if you wanted to, and it would just never end. Well, that's true. I mean, there is a point at which it gets ridiculous, but. It, trying to compress everything into three characters is no longer necessary. There was a point when the amount of bits you had available in memory actually made the length of file names important. Those days are long gone. Long gone, people. You know, four, five, and six character suffixes, those are more than adequate. That's good. I think it's a good thing. I mean, it's been a while since we've, you know, graduated from, like you said, eight-character file names to file names as long as you want them now, which makes things a whole lot easier. So uh, I guess it, it follows that the extensions should follow as well. 
Yes, I believe they should. And I'm, I'm glad they didn't call it like, well, I think the reason they didn't call it an OPS file is because that's being used for something else. But there's no reason they shouldn't have just called it a dot opus anyway, because that makes it very recognizable when you go to search for a particular file format. So good on the opus people for calling it dot opus. And also, um, I think we, I'd like to get, um, the, on H, uh, yeah, on HPR and also on IRC, there's a guy, uh, on there. Uh, Epicanus, who is like the world's biggest promoter of the Opus format. It might be interesting to hear from him about why he likes Opus so much and tell us more about uh, the codec itself and why it's, you know, the new and greatest thing. And I would like to say that I am trying very hard to pronounce his name properly. He keeps making a point of saying, call him Epicanus. So you don't actually call him Epic Anus. <laughs> well, that's what I was wondering, but you just said that. <laughs> and uh, I wanted to make sure that we didn't, you know, we weren't commenting on the size of his arse, as it were. And at, at, a, at a certain point, he's kind of attracting it to himself. Yeah, I believe so. But <laughs> no offense, you know. Epic Anus. <laughs> I'll let you say it, Epic Anus. <laughs> we're all friends here. Yeah, it's exactly. And I'm in Canada. I'm safe. <laughs> I don't know. He might be Canadian for all I know. Yeah, that's true. He might be in Montreal. Who knows? So we have been having some trouble with Mumble. Now, for some reason, Skype just seems to work out of the box. I have a mixing board here next to me. You're just recording off a USB microphone. So your setup is a little simpler than mine. But when we use Skype, it just seems to work. Your audio comes in. I hear it. My audio comes in. You hear it. We're able to record, we're able to stream, everything just sort of works. Now, when we fired up Mumble, we tried this yesterday because we would like to switch off and use an open source product uh, with open source code. And, and we will. And we will at some point. That's true. But we've got to figure out this Mumble issue. For those listening, if anybody can help us figure out this Mumble issue, we would be indebted to you. But the problem seems to be that with my mixing board set up the way it is, it uses the USB audio codec to transmit sound back and forth between my computer. When using Mumble, the default seems to be that whatever audio comes into Mumble from Pete across the internet connection is heard by me and then also sent back to him through Mumble, creating a nasty echo and basically making it impossible to use. I tried a bunch of machinations on my mixing board to cut out the feedback to him which we seemed to get f figured out last night, and then when we tried it again today, couldn't get it to work at all. For your side, you had everything working last night perfectly, and then when you tried to start it up today, your audio was way down, and unless my audio was being sent back to you, you couldn't hear anything. This is really weird, and I'd really love to know if this is us, is it Pete and I, that don't have this mumble thing figured out? Is there a magic button? Do we have to do the secret incantation? Do I have to sacrifice a goat? What, you know, what is the thing that makes mumble not work where Skype just does? Uh, no goats. Goats are our friends. Goats are our friends. Yeah. That you, when you were saying that, it um, reminded me there's, there's a, a point somewhere where you can go into the audio, either in the wizard or in the settings, and you can choose your input device. And then you can choose the system that you use and then the actual device. And if I go there, I have a drop-down list of about 20 different devices. You know, let's see, Intel uh, IH6 direct sampling, uh, Intel IH6 uh, snooping device, blah, 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 USB. Uh, I don't know if you've 
been into there at all or not. I have, and I have tried every every one. I yeah, just, just basically. I finally every found the right. That was hard for me to figure out. I finally found the right one, and and I wrote it down. Now I know. But that was one of my problems when we were doing the tests yesterday, and then we got over that. That's that's what I don't get. Yesterday everything was working great. I didn't change anything. I brought my computer down, you know, shut it down, started it back up. It's a Windows box after all. You got to start it up every time you do something new, or at least I highly recommend you do. And uh, today, despite no changes, we were having all kinds of problems. If any of you were listening before to the stream, you would have heard that. So Pete and I, I I'm going to speak for you now. You can disagree with me later if you like, but Pete and I would love to use Mumble. We just can't right now because... I can't figure out how to get my audio. By the way, because I'm using this mixing board, the audio in and the audio out for me are on the same channel. They both use the audio codec, but the input and output side should be separate. They are separate when it comes to Skype because Pete's not hearing me come back to him over the Skype connection. Sorry, he's not hearing himself come back to him over the Skype connection, but he does when we're using Mumble. So... If someone can help us figure out how to turn that off, there's probably a Mumble IRC channel that I, I need to get on and ask in there and see if they can help us out. But we'd really love to to, uh, to work with this product. I think there are lots of podcasts that use it. I know KBO uses it and Tilts uses it, Linux Basement, basically all the ones that I'm familiar with. Uh, they all use Mumble to do their recording because uh, for a lot of them, there are more than two hosts and they have to have some way to sort of collaborate all together. And Mumble's a great solution, but how they got it to work is a mystery to me because I can't get it to work. And, and I know how this stuff works. I'm confused. But you know how this stuff works, but are you a regular user of Mumble? Well, sometimes I, there's just a little stupid checkbox somewhere in some sub menu and we just have to find that, you know, hidden checkbox and I think we'll be okay. Yeah, and maybe that's the thing. If someone, like I said, if someone can point us to the secret incantation, the rain dance necessary to do the thing we need to do, then that's what we need. But in the meantime, Mumble, you're a great application, but you can suck it. And I'll take back that suck it when we figure out what the problem is. And we will. And we will. So uh, anything else to say about the new new release of Mumble? Oh, and by the way, I did up upgrade my server to 1.2.4 last night because we were having an issue with doing recording within Mumble, uh, and my updating of the server fixed that, so we're all good there. Uh, yep. Pete, Pete and I can both record on, on either side of the conversation, and that, that's all working. We can't talk to each other. Right. We can't talk to each other without you going into cardiac arrest from the delayed feedback. Yeah, see, I didn't dare upgrade because I didn't want to change anything specifically because I got home early today. I'm like, oh, maybe I'll upgrade to the new version. And I thought, no, it was working yesterday. Leave it alone. <laughs> maybe that's the problem. Maybe I should have upgraded. Maybe it's mad at me now. Maybe it started to rust. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. There's enough humidity up here this time of year. I don't know. It's pretty bad down here, too. I didn't even think of that. Maybe I need to get some Rust-Oleum. Uh, yeah, <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, I think that's enough about Mumble. We do have some stuff to address in the third segment, so I guess I can do some more music. So I should probably Sorry. do that, eh? Go ahead. Oh, I said A. Did I, did I sound a. particularly am, Canadian am, there? Am I? Uh, yeah, I'm rubbing off on you. That's good. You'll, you'll fit right in when you come to Montreal. All right. Well, I was browsing around, and I wound up finding a group called Meet the Machine. That's M-E-A-T, the machine. Uh, they're a German group. They've got an EP and a live EP. And I found this song called Breath Away, which is actually a studio recording they did back a couple of years, and uh, it actually sounded pretty good to me. They categorize themselves as stoner rock, 
I'm not sure if, what, what even that category really is, but uh, we'll go ahead and give this one a spin, and we'll talk some feedback when we come back. You knew that Ooh. one was going to end quickly, didn't you? <laughs> I did. Yep. That was actually pretty cool. Yeah, it was a good yeah. rocker. One one when you're listening in the car, get your feet tapping and make you go faster than you're supposed to. 
I'm not sure about the stoner rock, but uh, stoner rock, that was kind of funny. I knew a lot of stoners in high school, but they were a little bit more mellow than that. Uh, yeah. Maybe that's the after effect. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe today's stoners are, you know, everything that's, society is quicker today. So maybe today's stoners are quicker too. Maybe somebody can chime in and, and enlighten me. And me. I'd be interested. So uh, the future. Make a whole show out of that. <laughs> yeah, we probably could. So the future of ham radio, according to a certain poster on the forums over at QRZ, is bleak. There are 18 pages of comments that I didn't even come close to getting through after that comment. Um, but it sounds to me like a lot of people are saying, or this particular person is saying, and a lot of agreed with him, that the internet and cell phone use are going to kill ham radio. Now, I've heard this argument many times before, and some people agree and some people don't. But Pete has decided he wants to bring this topic up again. So what is your thought on this? Well, I just uh, ran into the article uh, quite by accident, looking on QRZ. And since you mentioned, uh, you know, when you, you did your little talk about how Hamvention was quite a bit uh, less populated than it was in the past, I ran across this post and I thought, well, this is exactly what you were saying. So a little follow-up would be uh, in order. And uh, yeah, they claimed that uh, the attendance was down by 40 to uh, 50%. And uh, like Russ said, the post was uh, 15 or 16 pages, 175 posts uh, when I read it. And I think uh, last time I read it was yesterday. Uh, and I thought it was an interesting read for the most part. There was, there's a lot of good, uh, you know, a lot of wacky uh, opinions out there too, as there always is on QRZ or any forum. But there's a lot of interesting ones as well. Like Russ was saying, a lot of the arguments are the same as you know the old video killed the radio stars. Uh, there's uh, old hams are dying off. Some of the way people word things was really funny but you know old hams dying lack of interest from young hams to take over which you've heard before uh some people mentioned that the uh, flea market compared to past years was lacking in vendors uh was lacking in good quality gear and that the gear that was there was crap and overpriced mind you that's like a lot of ham fest that i go to anyway so I, I, that happens pretty much anywhere uh like we said before uh digital technologies smartphones skype etc kids aren't interested in ham radio because ham radio does require a little bit more patience than your uh, smartphone chat or, or skype call uh, somebody mentioned that the FCC's antiquated content-based HF rules are anti-digital. I'm, I'm unfamiliar with the FCC's antiquated content-based HF rules. Maybe, Russ, you can enlighten me after. Um, let's see. Uh, cost of travel was uh, mentioned as a factor. And, of course, cost of uh, accommodations. Uh, of course, accommodations are always scarce. Uh, somebody said uh, lack of Elmering. You know, it's a me society, so uh, there's less hams because there's less people Elmering than you guys that are coming in. There's the clique effect. It, it just went on. Some guy even said that he doesn't go because it's a total sausage fest. So, uh, you know, you have all kinds of opinions in there. I just thought that the, uh, the discussion was worthy, and I thought I'd mention it very quickly. The only thing I can think of regarding the bit about HF being, or the HF contest rules being anti-digital is that most of the contests that I'm aware of personally are either CW, RIDI, SSB, you know, QRP, but basically analog modes. I, I don't know that there are a lot of digital mode contests. 
Um, there's a couple of them. They're they're starting to come around. Some of the bigger contests um, are are accepting because our club participates and we uh, do some RTTY and some uh, PSK31 and some of the contests. Not all of them, but some of the bigger ones are starting to open up. So, um, you know, it's, it's everything's slow to to move forward anyways but i i see it as a as a good thing and i certainly don't see that as a problem but then again i'm not a serious contester either somebody who is would probably find that that's uh limiting yeah perhaps so and i suppose that there is a sort of attrition in membership to the ham radio community by death but that's always been a part of it I honestly think uh, the latest numbers from the ARRL, anyway, have shown that uh, ham membership is actually uh, rising. Uh, in That's the, what I've heard. In the United States. So the person who who's put this post out there said he wasn't trying to be alarmist or anything, and I'm not sure that even if he was trying to troll that it will be terribly successful because I think ham radio is at a stable point or growing, however slightly, I think there will always be room for it, regardless of the level of our, you know, current day technology. So I personally don't think there's anything to worry about here, but you know, you're free to disagree. And of course, lots of people who have read this post do disagree. And I don't, uh, I don't disagree at all. I just thought it was an interesting set of arguments. Right. And I would like to say to the person who is trying to get laid at Hamvention, you need to broaden your horizons. <laughs> Actually, uh, I made that one up. I thought it was. Oh, funny. you shouldn't have told me that because I, that made it much more fun. <laughs> okay, no, well, I'm going to edit that part that. out. No, I'm going to I'm going to treat that one as if it was entirely real. So, is it real? Yeah. Well, see, I didn't read all one 175 posts, so perhaps it is in there. You, you never know. I can't can dr- I, I dare can't, to dream. Right. Well, I can't get rid of it because that was like the one funny thing I got to say today. So. <laughs> Let's. I'm actually kind of interested in this in this thing you found about uh, the lack of ham radio education in schools. Or not, sorry, not ham radio. <laughs> well, that lack, too. Well, that too. Yeah, but the lack of Linux education in schools. So why don't you go over this one here, and I, I'm sure I'll have something to say about it uh, afterwards. Yeah, this one was was the most interesting article I've come across in the last couple of weeks. Uh, the source, uh, once again, uh, did I write it down? Uh, Linux Today and uh, Information Week uh, both uh, mentioned this. Um, let's see. Uh, the three reasons that the title of the article is Three Reasons Linux Doesn't Star in U.S. Schools. Um, basically, the article starts out saying that, uh, and, and I was very excited about this, come December, about 500 Indonesian schools, of course, Indonesia isn't in the USA or Canada, unfortunately, 500 Indonesian schools are going to be running OpenSUSE, a uh, version called OpenSUSE Edu Life, uh, which is Linux for Education. This was endorsed by their Ministry of Communications and Information Technology of Indonesia and also by the Office of Education uh, in a province called the uh, Yogyakarta, I hope I pronounced that right. So uh, each school is going to be running one local server with about 20 client PCs, which is, uh, you know, not too shabby. I mean, that's probably more PCs than my kids' uh, grade school has right now here in uh, Montreal. Um, and they say that, you know, there's all kinds of 
uh, of good things about it. You don't have to uh, install additional software. It's already there. Like other Linux distributions aimed at education, uh, EduLife also includes a selection of open source softwares for the students, for educators, for IT administrators and parents. I didn't uh, look into what the specific uh, software were, but I'm guessing they're you know things that help in uh, education and i think that it's uh it's great i'm really glad to see that schools somewhere are embracing linux it's free it's open source you know no school anywhere seems to have any budget any money so i don't know why we don't uh, embrace that uh here in north america before i go on uh, with the uh reasons do you want to interject at this point russ the only thing I'll interject is that I have heard other stories on, on various other podcasts where there are governmental agencies and school departments that tend to use open source or to prefer it and deploy it in their chosen fields, as it were. Uh, but all of them, to my knowledge, have been uh, not in the United States. There have been some like in Germany, of course, this one in Indonesia, there's been uh, a couple that I've heard of in Central and South America. And I, I think it has a lot to do with Microsoft's stranglehold on the PC market. And it's just very hard to shake here in the United States. Laws against some of the things that Microsoft does tend to be a little bit stronger outside of the United States because they don't stand for the, the antitrust violations and, and things like that. They stand for them more firmly uh, outside the U.S. So... Uh, maybe it's easier to bring in non-Microsoft te technology in those places, but uh, I think that's all I had to say up till now. All right, good. Well, give that man a cigar. Um, uh, you, you've got your finger on, on part of the problem as they identified it. Uh, the, the three main reasons were uh, lack of market share, unfamiliarity, and uh, technical gaps. Uh, so under lack of market share, they claim that, uh, as you mentioned, Russ, uh, commercial OSs like Microsoft, Apple, uh, Mac OS, uh, they have a uh, decades-old uh, hold, as we all know, uh, on the uh, what they say is a multi-billion dollar education market. And here I am saying that the schools don't have any money. Well, actually, the schools don't have money, but anyways, both uh, Microsoft and Apple have built uh, substantial uh, dedicated sales and marketing operations, as we all know, uh, from seeing all the commercials everywhere all the time. And they give huge educational discounts for schools uh, and students alike. And I can attest, attest to this. Uh, having purchased the software for some of the places I've worked, they do give interesting discounts uh, for some of their softwares to uh, educational edu institutions. Uh, under unfamiliarity, uh, they say that uh, the simple fact is that most teachers are unfamiliar with the Linux desktop. And they also claim that the, prov the problem is exacerbated by the fact that Lin Linux offers so many dis desktop environments as we know in the Linux parlance as DEs uh, so that tends to uh, confuse uh, people uh, you know when you start talking about uh, KDE, XFC, LMD uh, you know KDE, GNOME, Cinnamon it, it, it can go on especially for someone and and I understand that because being somewhat of a newbie I've been you know into Linux for a few years but I remember in the beginning hearing all these things and it would just confuse the hell out of me and it would drive me nuts over time of course you you start to understand the system but I can understand where that would be a little bit of a stumbling block uh, for trying to sell that and and old hob habits old, old hobbits old hobbits are hard to break so so are old habits 
so uh, I can kind of understand that. And then uh, lastly, they uh, mentioned that the uh, most powerful objection to using Linux is uh, the technical gaps because that the um, uh, school uh, administrators and technical staff, they lack the skills required uh, to effectively deploy and maintain such systems. And even uh, professionals say that, uh, you know, there's a huge difference, and, and you'll probably agree with me on this, Russ. There's a huge difference between installing Linux Mint 15 Mate on your home computer and installing a whole Linux system in your educational institution. So uh, that's what they mentioned uh, as reasons. And, and I thought it was just, um, it, it's interesting and it's sort of understandable. Uh, but at the same time, it's, it's happening in Indonesia. So there's no reason it can't happen everywhere else on the planet. Well, I personally think there are enough out-of-work Linux systems administrators who would be more than happy to help implement and deploy a Linux offering among any number of United States educational institutions that this, the, the third part there about technical gaps could be wiped out instantaneously. Uh, but then here the problem is unions. See, you wouldn't be able to get rid of your useless technicians because they're in the union and you couldn't get those new technicians in because the union would prevent that. I'm not sure that sysadmins in educational institutions, particularly in lower education, high school you know, and elementary, are unionized. I'm not sure they are at the college level either, um, but I can't really speak to that because I don't know. I don't know either. I, I assume they are because they're all government employees here, so I could be wrong. I'll look into that. It might be an interesting way to approach the subject, but I'm not sure that union or not, that is what's preventing the implementation, or that's not no. the, certainly not the largest factor in the implementation problem. No, 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 absolutely not. But um, it, it is interesting that it's happening somewhere, but it's not happening here, you know? Yeah, well, maybe we can learn from all the people who've done it correctly, because even places like North and South Korea have done like massive deployments of network infrastructure and everything that gives their population a much better access to network and and stuff like that than than we do here i know we we in the united states put a lot of stopgap measures in place trying to approach the money that's been laid out for infrastructure in other places of course we're trying to piece everything together from something that started earlier where they got to start from uh square one and build it the way it should have been from the from the beginning but you'd think with you know, being who we are, that we could solve these kind of problems, but apparently we can't. Well, they, like you say, they claim that quite often it's, um, it would be too expensive to do a changeover because, you know, you have however many hundreds of thousands or millions of machines. If it would have been done properly in the first place, that would be good. But now you're stuck with what you have because changing. I mean, we, we deal with that where I work all the time. There's so many. PCs and, and workstations that every time you start an upgrade, by the time the upgrade is finished throughout the system, it's time for the next upgrade. It's, it's almost like a make-work project for those poor guys, you know? I, I know what you're saying, but I don't know. We, we're already using money we haven't had. You know, we're, we're 13, what, 13, 14 trillion in the hole now. Just print some more money that's like phantom apparition and get it done. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, financial advice from us. Uh, yeah. Uh, who knows it's absolutely print, nothing print about anything money. when it comes to money. So, <laughs> all right. Oh, that's okay. I don't know a whole lot more. Let me uh, let me get through this um, this voice feedback we got from Lord Drakenblut. 
from a few episodes back. This is actually about episode number 101, and we may actually have some discussion about this after he's done because it uh, discusses the philosophical topic that I brought up way back when about whether or not Linux should be called GNU Linux or something else. Pete wasn't on board for this one, so we, we get to hear your thoughts on it, too. I haven't heard it. No, of course you haven't. I'm going to spring it on you right now. Oh, there you go. It's all coming. It's all coming together. <laughs> it's all coming together. I'm all back. right. And we're back. Excellent. And let me go ahead and find that so we can play it. And here it is. Lord Drakenblut. Hey, LHS show. This is Lord Drakenblut, the digital dragon. Um, chiming in on the philosophical conversation from episode 101 about what to call able distribution. Um, a point I want to make against Stallman is Stallman wants to call every Linux distribution a GNU distribution. And I think Russ had kind of started to hit on this point, that by calling it a GNU distribution, you know, GNU Linux distribution, he is seriously undermining everyone else's contribution. And I think this is rather intentional that uh, Stallman is trying to make sure that he trumpets the horn of the GNU project and make sure everyone knows that the GNU project is the most important part of this whole thing. You know what? If the GNU dis GNU system were so important to all this, all of this, where's their kernel? Where's their herd kernel? They have never delivered on that to a functioning state for the average person. It was the Linux kernel which pulled them out of a fire so they could focus on the GNU tools. If it were not for the Linux kernel, GNU project would probably still be dead in the water, running on other OSs, closed ones, and hoping to get the herd kernel done. Maybe they would have gotten done. I'm not sure. But I seriously think calling it the GNU Linux system seriously undermines everyone's contributions. And as Fab from... Uh, Linux Outlaws likes to point out, language changes, it evolves. Linux distribution has come to mean the sum total of everything that goes into a distribution, the GNU tools, the Linux kernel, the you know GPLv3 code, the GPLv2 code, the Apache code, the BSD code, all the different code that goes in to make a distribution. It even talks about the artwork that goes into making a distribution. I mean, if we went around following every example Richard Stallman went on talking about language, we wouldn't be talking about digital rights management. We'd be talking about digital restrictions management, treacherous computing, and every, you know, the swindle, every little thing along those lines likes to rename because he thinks he is the sole arbiter of linguistics. And I think that is something he is unwilling to admit, that the GNU tools has become such a embedded part of the Linux ecosystem that it's a part of it. He wants it to continue to be trumpeted as the most important part, and it's not. It's one piece of the entire puzzle. Sorry for the very thing on this, but just uh, wanted to add my you know two and a half cents worth. So, Russ, glad to see the show still continu continuing. Uh, Richard, you can kiss our badgers until you get back. And Harrison, good luck if uh, you're still the continuing co-host. Okay, so anyway, Lord Drakenblut, and hopefully you heard all of that. 
I did. All right. Excellent. Uh, yeah, like I said, that was uh, feedback on episode number 101, which was before your time, so to speak. So it was. Uh, I probably heard episode 101. I'm, I would hope so. You said you're a longtime listener of the show. I listen to every episode pretty much. I'm, I can't tell you that I've remembered everything I've heard from the 109 episodes, or 108, sorry. Uh, but I have listened to every one as far as I can recall. All right. So do you have any comments? I mean, I, I'm pretty much in 100% agreement with Lord Drakenblut because he's more or less echoing the sentiments that I evoked on episode number 101. I don't know that I need to belabor anything by reiterating what he's already said, but do you have anything you want to say about what he said? He makes a very good point. Maybe Lord Drakenblut just, just hates GNU's. No one knows, but I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> But maybe he does. Um, no, I, I agree. He makes very good points. Um, at, at a certain point, at a certain time, you know, sometimes you shouldn't read too much into it. Um, everybody's going to do their marketing differently. Um, you know, you'll always have pros and cons, yeses and nos. Um, yeah, I agree with him. I, I think it's it's a it's a valid point, and I really can't can't add anything. One thing he did mention was the herd kernel, which was. Originally, when the GNU software project was getting off the ground, they were trying to do, they were trying to build a microkernel architecture called the herd, which would have made the system that they released entirely GNU based. It would have all been done by Stallman and his team of developers. It would have been all the applications and the kernel as well. Now, the herd stalled when they found the Linux kernel and Torvalds and Installment got together and created GNU Linux or whatever it is we're going to ultimately call it. Work has picked up on it again. It's not ready for prime time, but there are releases of the herd out there in the wild. And Debian can actually be run with a herd kernel. So you can actually run Debian herd as opposed to Debian Linux. It can be done. It's not easy, not for the faint of heart. And probably not something you want to do on a production machine for any reason whatsoever. But if you wanted to see what the herd kernel was about and what Stallman's original idea of what a PC architecture kernel was supposed to be, you could try and install, you could try and install the Debian herd system. I have not tried to do this myself personally, but I know it is a project that's available. So it may be something you want to check out. Some some people don't some people refer to the name Linux as as referring to the kernel though and not the whole OS. That is the way you should refer to it because Linux. That's why that's why Stallman wants everything to be called GNU Linux because he wants GNU to reference the applications and the utilities that were written that were the Unix based things like LS and Bash and stuff like that that actually you know, perform your day-to-day -day tasks, but Linux is the kernel only, just the part that actually powers the machine, fires up the hardware, does the, you know, uh, hardware abstraction and that kind of thing, provides the drivers and, and all of that, does the memory management, so on and so forth. Everything else is GNU, the stuff that runs underneath the kernel. So that's why Stallman wants them to be separated as GNU slash Linux, not call it Linux because Linux is just the kernel. So that makes sense too then. So the, the opposite argument also makes sense. In a way it does, but my problem with calling it GNU Linux is you're talk, you're, you exclude, and this is what I said back in the episode, is that you exclude all of the utilities and applications out there that are not GNU. And there are way more pro, you know, applications out there that 
or not written by Stallman and the Free Software Foundation and his team than there are that are. So, so do you recommend that he just name it after some cute animal or not cute animal, like well, you know many other distributions? I, I just recommend that we come up with a name like the Uber Linux or the the uh, the the Uber Unix system or something like that. That sort of when you hear it, it encompasses all the parts together and doesn't exclude any one part. But I, you know, that's one of those things where that's a, it's sort of an ideal idealized utopian position that we're never going to achieve. The GNU entity, are they completely free and open source or are they, yes, they for are for profit anyway, or no, they're G not, they're G not for profit. No, GNU is, so the, they're not evil. No, they're not evil. That's right. GNU is the embodiment of, Richard Stallman's philosophy and the Free Software Foundation. They are they're basically one and the same. Okay. So then why are we all fighting with each other if we're all trying to achieve free software? Sam, this is from the perspective of a semi outsider. I I don't know that we're fighting exactly. It's just that I think, you know, people take well, how, issue. Why are we having a philosophical debate then? Well, I think it's because folks take a certain issue with Stallman's attitude that it should be called GNU Linux, where he's actually more right than not right. Because if you just say Linux, you should be talking about the kernel. If you say GNU Linux, you're talking about the kernel and the applications. But to me, that's not going quite far enough. I, I think he's going in the right direction. He's just not taking it to the point that it needs to go. Because in his world, saying Linux excludes GNU in my world, saying GNU Linux excludes everyone GNU Linux. So, okay. well, that's why I, I just found a quote by him, which is kind of interesting about that. It says, uh, uh, so if you're going to pick a name for the system based on who wrote the programs in the system, the most appropriate single choice would be GNU. This is his quote. But we don't think that that's the right way to consider the question. And then he goes on, and I won't read the whole paragraph, but that kind of... Well, sums he, up what he, you just said about what he thinks. Right. He may he may be more in agreement with me than I actually realized. So maybe there is no point in debate. Um, yeah, no, there's always point for debate. I just uh, always think that it's interesting that, you know, the words do matter, but at a certain point you shouldn't be, you know, I can't think of a, I was going to say you shouldn't be splitting daisies. But well, I know. Sense, I, you know I, make a, I, mean? I make a point in my life of being as pedantic as entirely possible. So... <laughs> Excellent. All Excellent. Right. Hey, oh, you want me to do that, do you? Let me see. Where's my little button here? Uh, it's been underused. I know. I've lost it already. Oh, that's because it's not on my thumb player yet. I've got to get it there. Excellent. Uh, <laughs> Very good. I think we are, we're already followed on Twitter by Paul Shirey, K-C-Y-Q-I-B, but I believe he changed his Twitter handle, and I believe that's why we got a... Uh, a new subscription from him. Oh, perhaps I, I was unsure, um, but I just wanted to mention it and throw a shout out to Paul because he is the former host of the uh, now defunct uh, teen radio journey podcast, as you know, but I, I thought he'd actually fallen, you know, out of the limelight as it were. Uh, but it seems that he's uh, doing his own thing on the side. Uh, he's, uh, he's a blogger who writes about tech, uh, social media gadgets and uh, weather. And his blog is at uh, paulshiretech.com. And I checked it out. He's got some, uh, he does a video podcast. He's got some handy tech tips. Uh, he does a little bit of photography. He's not, it's not a bad photographer either. So that was very interesting. So shout out to Paul, who I had heard from in, in many, many moons. 
Yeah, I haven't heard from Paul either. Not, I think, we, we heard he used to come by and visit after we interviewed him way back on episode like 12 or whatever it was, um, way back in the early days of history that are now shrouded in fog and <laughs> probably things we shouldn't talk about. Um, but anyway, I'm glad to see that he's still keeping up with his hobbies and uh, doing that. I'll have to check out his video cast. I, I'm usually not particularly partial to video podcasts, but I will check his out if uh, for no other reason than he was a fellow ham radio podcaster in the past and we interviewed him and I'd like to see what he's doing these days. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the podcast, I, I think it's it's not like a, a production. It's just them on webcam as they're doing their podcast. So you can listen to the podcast and get the same uh, content if, if you wish not to watch the video cast. Because I'm, I'm more of a podcast guy, an audio podcast. I don't watch that many video casts. Uh, and there's some good ones out there. Um, but I just prefer audio for some reason. So, um, yeah, there you go. So uh, thanks, Paul. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Thanks for uh, continuing to keep up with us. We'll continue to keep up with you. Indeed. Maybe we can have him. Uh, he, he actually, I, I wanted him to uh, be interviewed on uh, Waveguides way back when. And uh, being a teen with uh, many other interests, he most likely forgot about us and then wrote me a very apologetic email uh, uh, after that saying, oh, can, can we reschedule? And, and unfortunately, it, the dates never worked out. So uh, if you're listening, Paul, uh, it wasn't mean. It just hadn't, just didn't work out. Yeah, and Waveguides hasn't exactly kept up its end of the bargain either. No, not of late. Uh, I, I must admit that they, uh, the organization has had so many changes that they're having trouble uh, keeping up with their schedule. I, I think that the organization, Southcar's, the VOIP side of it, grew so fast that it kind of out, didn't outgrow itself. It's still trying to catch up. And, and the people who are there are very dedicated and are, are doing many, many wonderful things to keep it going. Uh, but I think sometimes they struggle. And I think part of that is, is they're a victim of their own success. Well, I guess that's a nice thing to be victim of, but hopefully we'll hear a waveguide soon. Yeah, well, I've actually got one in the pipe that I have to post. It'll probably be up this week. And then there's another one that I'm still editing. So um, uh, I have no excuse on those. I've just been very busy of late. So uh, part of it is, is me also. But they are still uh, putting out one episode uh, every month. Uh, and I believe it's the second Thursday of the month. Uh, although it does change depending on the availability of the uh, podcaster or the host of the show. Hopefully we'll hear one soon and maybe I'll actually get to be a part of one, one of these days. Well, we could probably organize that. I, uh, I'm in uh, cahoots with the organizers. Well, good. Maybe you should, maybe you should get that done because <laughs> I'd like to be a part of one someday. <laughs> yeah. Well, I didn't know that. Well, that'd be great. We'll make that happen. All right. Excellent. And we've also been followed by Pete W, uh, at Ocho Tona underscore P. <laughs> and I have no idea what any of that means, but he followed us anyway over on Twitter. So, yeah, uh, absolutely. So, uh, shout out to Peter as well. I believe that was a new one. Uh, so, uh, we hope you uh, like what you hear and give us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Well, it's certainly not familiar to me. So, well, now that we're down at the bottom, I guess it's time to wrap this thing up. And I think I was hoping this would be a short episode. Guess what? It wasn't. <laughs> well, it wasn't. The recording might be shorter. It seems to me that the recording is going to be shorter, even though we were here because, you know, we goofed around with Mumble for about half an hour. It seems like we're here longer, but is the recording actually as long? Well, I don't know. The, I'm up over two hours right now, so we'll see. Wow. Okay. Well, 
Good. I didn't think we had that much to say. Uh, I never think we have that much to say, and then we say it anyway. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and let you start the outro as I uh, figure out how to get the music running here, and then uh, we'll wrap it up. All right. Very good. Well, we'd like to uh, say thank you and 7-3 to everybody. Thanks uh, for being there. Thanks to everybody in the uh, chat room. Thanks to everybody listening live, and thanks to all y'all who are going to donate, donate, download the podcast. Uh, we appreciate you guys doing that. I'm one of those. I like listening to our podcast as well. Thanks to all of our monthly donors, yearly donors. Thanks to all of our members. I uh, look forward to uh, hearing from you guys as well, hopefully. Uh, thanks to uh, everyone. Uh, you can get information about us at lhspodcast.info. You could reach us at info at lhspodcast.info. Leave us a voicemail, uh, just like our friend Lord uh, Drakenbluke, uh, which is always exciting. Uh, 1-909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1-909-547-7469. Subscribe to the podcast, join the mailing list, or uh, listen live every second to Tuesday, 8 p.m. Central, or Wednesday, 0100 UTC. Next episode, June 18th. Mark your calendars. We'll be having the draw for the uh, Beagle Bone. And uh, there you go. We'll see you soon. All right. Excellent. And this is Russ, K5TUX. You can find me at K5TUX, LHSpodcast.info. Uh, or info at lhspodcast.info I'm on all the social networks and now that StatusNet has kind of gone by the wayside I have a new StatusNet address k5tux at u.bluecows.com that's the letter u.bluecows.com so if you're on Identica or StatusNet that's where you can find me now otherwise I'm J.R. Woodman pretty much everywhere else this has been episode 108 of the Linux in the Ham Shack podcast. I think I'm running out of outro, so I'm going to say good night for Pete and myself, and we hope to have uh, all your entries come in in the next couple of weeks and see you for the next live recording. Take care, everybody. 